Why struggle through a post-merger integration when you can glide through it? Why deal with the PMI integration challenges when you can overcome them even before they occur? Why move slow when you can move at pace? What are the world's leading PMI experts doing right now to achieve profit accelerating integrations? This podcast will give you all the answers to these questions and many more. My name is Dudley Peacock and welcome to the 100 Days and Beyond podcast. Welcome, Richard. Good morning. Hi, Dudley. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so uh, welcome everyone to another 100 Days and Beyond podcast where we speak to the the guys that do the ins and outs the and the roundabouts, I think, if you, if you had to do a nice rhyme. Um, of the M&A world, especially the uh, post-merger or post-acquisition integration work. And today we've got someone really, really special, someone who's a career uh, integration specialist and has chosen, um, I think, really very smartly to, to stay within um, a one organization for for a, a long period of time and, and got to really know his industry um, Got to really know the, the the background and the and the overall approach, uh, and I think today we're going to be talking a bit about uh, things like sustainability and so on. But let me introduce Richard to you. Richard Cederman is strategy M and A director of uh, well within the FTSE industries global manufacturing sector. Now manufacturing and manufacturing as a sector has got its uh, it's got its quirks and it's got its uh, difficulties uh and has experienced multiple shifts i think during your career richard if i if i just think about the outsourcing and now things moving back and and so on and 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 different types of materials being used within manufacturing and so on i think it's going to be an amazing uh, episode thank you very much for joining me this morning and uh, we look forward to a good show richard yeah, you're welcome. Look forward. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be invited. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. So uh, I just quickly want to go through. Uh, you 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 talk about being an accomplished and driven senior M and A uh, and a strategy director with an extensive history in listed FTSE company, companies with over ten thousand employees across the world. I mean that is significant for for any entity to get past a few hundred to a few thousand to to in excess of 10,000. I mean, that creates one incredible uh, organism, if you like, or an organization that, 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 that requires a lot more steering, a lot more systems and processes and things like that. But in addition, I would imagine you heading up or you being part of that whole uh, merger and acquisition um, effort of looking to, to, I think, over a period of time, change and and move into different industries, not industries, but within within your industry, but move into different entities that uh, that enhance or move your strategy forward. And I, I'd love to hear a bit about that. But before we get into that, let, let's just go back a few bits and let's just talk about how did you get into this and and how did you get into the organization that you're currently working with uh, and, and and understand that this is your sort of your purpose and your <laughs> the place you're going to be. <laughs> well, I, I mean, as you mentioned at the start, Dudley, I've, I've been in the in the company for a long time, and I, you know, I obviously made the decision to to work there when I when when I was quite young, um, and I think the things that appealed back then were that it was a, um, a you know a large international company, um, and that um, 
it was uh, it, it was able to offer good training and a good development path, but also it was within the manufacturing sector, which was something I particularly wanted to work in. Um, and it offered a lot of broad diversity, both in terms of end customers, markets, geographies, cultures, everything like that. So, so uh, that was what really appealed to me when I started. Yeah, and 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 I think I think you've 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 really harnessed that to a great extent. And I, and if I look at your CV and your career, um, I think it's I think it's been magnificent. I think the things that you that you have achieved and that you are now being driven to achieve. Um, I want to talk around the the sustainability as a as a strategic driver, and I also want to talk around. Sort of what are the trends in manufacturing right now? And, you know, when you go out and look for target entities and think about integrations and that uh, after you've you've selected your target, tell us what goes through your mind. I mean, what you, you, you strategically, you've been with this entity, you know where the company is going from a broader perspective. You need to fulfill on that strategy. Tell us tell us a bit about how you how you go about that whole um that process and that that thinking, um, if you don't mind, just just go through sort of a day in the life of Richard. <laughs> well, okay, so I mean, yeah, a big part of what I'm doing is, is is screening a very opaque and fragmented market for for companies that possibly could work um, within the Eccentra components uh, family, um, and what value can it add? So we're always looking to create value when we're looking for acquisitions. Um, and either it has to fit absolutely brilliantly within our current strategy, or it can push us into new areas that, that might be interesting and growing in the future. So uh, I, I, we obviously we have you know criteria that we assess, assess businesses against. You know, is it what's it going to add from geography, people, product perspective? Um, you know, and, and then what can we do to integrate that into our overall business to to, to generate value? Um, but I think going back to your first point in the question is, is is increasingly sustainability has to align strategically as well. And also, um, as we're looking at creating value in the future, it's not just en necessarily enterprise value, but it's sort of social value as well. Or um, creating a responsible company is, is a very important part of uh, any kind of acquisition strategy as well. So yeah, we uh, we've definitely built that into our uh, our criteria, and that's something that is develop developing at the moment. Um, and I think it's really interesting you talk about the manufacturing sector, because we have seen a real shift. Probably uh, the sort of the COVID period accelerated that shift towards uh, kind of companies going from having a sort of a, a an annual report listed sustainability strategy that wasn't really taking a hold within the company to one that really is taking hold in the company now. And you're seeing that with real hard KPIs being set by, by listed businesses um, wanting to, to really make sort of some significant progress, whether it be by 2025 or 2030 or 2040. Um, that, that, that's a really important part of a business's long-term goals and therefore has to align to any M&A strategy. Yeah, and I, I imagine, I mean, you're talking about the KPIs and and and, and I, I often see, I mean, especially if you look at sustainability, things like the environmental impact of, of different types of, even things like packaging and plastics versus paper, 
um, and and you don't have that many options if you think about it. But you got to be thinking sort of beyond that. You got to be thinking outside the box to use a cliche. But you got to be thinking about sustainability and reaching sustainability targets that that have been set sort of at the boardroom level, or even at the uh, at the shareholder level, um, where it's you know by this date you have to have achieved X. You know, I mean that that's quite that's a very very big ask and. And, and you almost have to do that through an M&A process because sometimes, and I'm, I'm, I don't, you'll have to tell us more at your current organization, but, but sometimes within the organizations, you've got this legacy that you have almost pulling you back into, into the older sort of mechanisms that sort of work, the comfort zone space, if you like. You're pulled into that, but you get get driven to these new uh, targets, and these new targets are set dates, sort of by 2030, by 2025, by this, by that. Somebody's thought of a date, right? So they've they've put out the date, and they said, okay, well, let's be sustainable by that date. And Yera, this is what we measure it against. I mean, how do you then translate that into something that's practical and real? I mean, let's let's go through a bit of that process. Um, so, well, I think a lot of companies are in the process of trying to crystallize it into a strategy with with a, a kind of a, a to develop the roadmap that they need to get there. So um, I, I don't think it's clear. And I think a lot of the goals are set where you can't quite create a roadmap yet because either the technology doesn't exist yet to enable you to complete them. And, and you have to have this sort of belief and faith that the wider economy will develop the technology and tools to enable us to achieve them by whether it be 2030 or 2040. Um, uh, one of the points you, you made was really interesting about um, how are we going to get there and how does M&A impact on this? These KPIs are often absolute KPIs that we're working to. Net zero, you know, that that's not a 20% reduction that you can just lob in some M&A that's got a bad background and say we're going to make a 20% improvement and a 20% improvement is is good enough, you know, we're going for an absolute target here. So um, it, it does have a real um, impact on the integration planning for any M&A um, about how they're going to impact your overall corporate goals, um, whether it be um, environmental or social, um, um, but particularly things like the car carbon measurement schemes that are out there which they they themselves are only crystallizing at the moment and, and how we're benchmarking and things like that um so it, it, it's definitely an interesting challenge and one to think through but uh but all, all adds to the fun of integration planning yeah it is and and, and i'm sure that there's also the the added element of you have potentially i mean within such a large group you've got um legacy businesses legacy um, I'm not sure there's legacy businesses, divisions and so on that, um, potentially need to be either mothballed or, 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 or be exited, you know, in order to move towards that net zero, uh, net zero target. So, so from an M&A perspective, I mean, you're not necessarily just working on a forward looking, I'm going to keep acquiring to mm -hmm. try and dilute what is not, not quite. Uh, as sustainable or as green as what it should be um, or carbon neutral. I'm not sure how that works. And then you also have this, this uh, uh, I think, a lot of pressure from the outside around a, a lot of the press has spoken about greenwashing, sort of this offset 
mentality where I can be naughty over there, but you know, over there I can be good. And then the, the, the balance between the good and the, and the bad makes me, makes me net zero. I mean, tell us a bit about that, that thinking sort of my past, my legacy businesses versus new. And then how do I sort of get that balance right? So um, I guess the, the, dealing with legacy businesses is definitely uh, yeah, an interesting challenge because there is some that you, you know you've acquired maybe in areas where it's either difficult to get um uh non uh, waste to landfill uh, operations that just don't exist in that geography or renewable energy for example isn't available to to acquire in that geography that makes it very difficult to get the kind of scope one scope two emissions down to, to zero which we really should be doing uh, in terms of offsetting, absolutely, you know, we don't look, you know, that is an absolute last resort, really. Um, it possibly is interesting to drive a kind of internal commercial or economic reason to say, well, you know, you're going to have to pay for this offsetting if you, Mr. Business General Manager, don't do something about your carbon, your actual carbon footprint mm. um, and, and kind of force it into people's P&Ls and targets. Um, however, yeah, no, the, the goal is to min have minimal offsets um, and, and do this through kind of genuine carbon reduction. Um, going back to the kind of what, do, what does that mean for, for some of our kind of existing um, acquisitions? It, it really leads back to innovation. Uh, there's probably nothing that you, you kind of need to mothball or go uh, give up complete hope on it. The products that are being made now however they're being made, have a useful purpose and a, and a solution that's important to the customer. So as long as you make sure you're really close to the customer, understand what their solution is and, and, and actually how you can bring sustainability to them, then you need to then invest in innovation, perhaps in a slightly different way to what you're used to, to bring sustainable products and services to your market. And I think that's, you know, that's something we try and do as, as, as part of our our strategy is to do that in a kind of hassle-free manner. So rather than making it difficult for our customers to attain sustainability, we're trying to just build it into our, our standard products offer. So over time, people can just continue to buy from us, but it will be an increasingly sustainable product offer. Yeah, I, lo I love the way that you bring the, the customer back into it because sometimes um, one forgets. I mean, I, for me, I've, I, I like what Peter Drucker said about, you know, the, the reason, you know, the purpose of a business is to acquire customers to fulfill their needs. You know, um, I think at, at, at the, when, when, when you have such a large entity, one can almost sometimes forget the customer. You get so busy with all the other stuff and you say, oh, Oh shoot, we actually do have some customers to support, and um, and I imagine there's also a bit of a supply chain too. So you've got to be thinking about not just about your current entity, but you've got to be thinking about the customers. So having good conversations with existing clients or customers, looking at new markets and and what are possibilities out there, and, and you know potential new customers, and then looking up and down the supply chain. I'm sure there there are ways in which you know, instead of trying to do everything within the organization, maybe look look towards uh, suppliers supporting that that process. I mean, that, just tell us how that sort of balance. How do you get that get those conversations? I mean, that's that's a pretty busy <laughs> busy environment, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess what some of the thoughts 
uh, spring to mind within the supply chain are, are things like the material supply chain, for example, um, and that's clearly changing quite significantly as the, the types of materials uh, required are changing. Um, M&A can be very useful for this. So either, you know, it, it can be something where um, there's a particular innovative material um, provider and that, that might be interesting, for example, um, or a particular supply chain might be changing. So as people want to reduce their transport miles, for example, uh, the location of which either you manufacture or have to supply to might be changing and therefore acquiring capability within a particular geography to support the developing supply chain can both help from a supply chain resilience as we've seen through COVID, but, but also can help actually from a sustainability angle. And I guess as we move forward to, to the future and, and thinking about the value of, of acquisitions, we will have carbon budgets and actually you'll have to plan not only the business financial business model of an acquisition but you'll have to plan the carbon business model of an acquisition as well so thinking that all through and starting to add these these thoughts to the process now is hopefully uh, an important thing to to set, set us on the right sort of playbook journey for the future mm, yeah and and and, I, and i'm sure those conversations uh, with suppliers and supply chain to include them in 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 the process and also to engage them in trying to move towards your targets, but also um, engaging them in, in helping them reach their targets. Because I think these days, uh, more so than, than in the past, it's, it's not an us and them environment, it's, it's, it's together we need to reach these, uh, these, these net zero targets. It's, you can't do it one without the other. So I'm, I'm really enjoying that, that, that um, that new sort of way of of doing things it's it becomes less selfish and it becomes more joint that's that's my that's my feeling and that's what i've been sort of understanding from the market as well there's people are, are are doing the joint work or doing the 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 way of saying you know what it we can't bear the entire responsibility for 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 net zero we we have to engage our partners and 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 so on so um yeah I mean, just tell us a bit about that i mean how, well, uh, I mean, I guess it's it's a case of um, working working with the main suppliers. I, I, I think the first bit of analysis is to try and understand what the major impacts are um, of, of a particular business, whether it be the business that you, you have and it's part of your portfolio of, of recent acquisitions or, or it's a business you're looking at in the future, is what is what, what what's driving the issue. Um, so you need you need kind of an understanding of, of where in the supply chain the issues are um, and typically um, the sort of the scope three carbon emissions with the, that happen outside within your, your kind of supply chain. Um, it's working with those suppliers to say, OK, well, what's what's your what's your net zero target? How is it going to align to ours? Um, and if it doesn't, you know, are you going to change or are we going to look for a different supplier? So uh, in, in some ways. Uh, I like to kind of think as a like an old, uh, you know, I, I like the kind of economy driven nature uh, that, that we work in. Um, I like to think that if you're not sustainable, you're not going to stay in, you know, it, your business is not sustainable. If you're not environmentally or, or socially uh, responsible, then you're not going to stay in business. So you can do it from You can look at it from a selfish angle as well as a doing good for the planet angle is if you want to stay in business and make money, if you can provide sustainable solutions, they're the ones that going to get chosen by the customer ultimately. 
Yeah, and, and, and I think if you look at the end user as, as the final customer, um, they will drive, I think, probably the behavior of, of that entire supply chain. Because if you, if you think about it, every, every buyer within the supply chain is a customer of someone else. I mean, you're, you're a yeah. customer of, of your suppliers and your suppliers are customers of their suppliers and so on. So it, it always goes, goes down. I, I've also heard that it only goes down one level. So um, these days, especially in terms of the, uh, the regulations um, of, of the carbon emissions and so on, so the ability to report back you don't need to report back multiple layers up and down the supply chain. I mean, just tell us a bit about the regulation around the reporting structures, because it appears to me there's still a lot that needs to be done from a regulation point of view of reporting and who's responsible for what. I mean, what what is your experience around that whole sustainability uh, discussion that's busy happening? Are you in, getting involved with, with the sort of government <laughs> institutions? Um, no, so I wouldn't say that we're, we're sort of big enough to really be lobbying the government institutions, but um, I, the, it, I think um, there are some, I mean, it's very depending on the geography. And I, I think that this whole um, requirement for reporting is evolving at the moment. There are a number of sort of widely recognised but not official um, um, accolades that you, you can work towards to to demonstrate your kind of progress in sustainability. And then there are clearly some government targets and, and government re reporting requirements um, that are required and they are increasing. And so I think the important thing at the moment is, is uh, that you have to have a kind of uh, horizon checking uh, process within the business to make sure you know what's com coming in your geography. And actually this, this is, it comes back to M&A as well. You've got to be looking two, three years ahead in the geography that you're acquiring in, because you could just be creating yourself an absolute um, internal reporting nightmare because the rest of your organization isn't going to integrate with so-and-so in a certain country unless you change your, your reporting methods and requirements. <laughs> so uh, you, you have to be very careful and you have to look forward. I, I think it's everything's developing. We are, you know, the bit, the big push uh, that, that that's going to be coming out is going to be more around the kind of scope three emissions, um, so those within within your supply chain. Um, uh, at the moment, you know, we 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 are in the process of signing up to SBTI to um, sign the science based targets initiative, um, and that will that that has, you know enough credence around it to demonstrate what your what progress you're making and you're actually in line with the sort of internationally agreed goals on on maintaining um temperature increases to, to within the levels they think are required yeah and and i imagine the there's also the big battle ge geographically um some uh, some regulations within ca certain countries are probably a lot more strict and others more lax Others haven't quite got the standardization or the, the standards right. I mean, if I go to, you know, and I shift slightly in terms of the, I mean, you do bring the geographic um, nature of, of what you do <laughs> into it. I, wanna, I want to just go into a little bit more in the, in the, on the integration side and just talk around on your, on your, uh, on your, uh, on your LinkedIn profile, you talk about um, 
having this uh, this multi geography multi divisional sort of approach um you you your role i mean you you have to work across multiple geographies so you have to work across multiple divisions and so on uh, it you know just just getting to know the changes and the move movements in your current organization and then being able to put formulate you know whatever the target is that that you're moving forward to and then then having to plan that a whole integration tell us what do you have a sort of a, a blueprint that you work according to do you have a sort of uh, a methodology that, that that you've worked out is there something that you do on a standardized sort of way or do you have to take each project as something as something unique you know in in terms of integration and m a and that um oh it's very much standardized um uh, although the standard is developing all the time i think it's fair to say so mm. um you know we have a, a a good set of tools um that have been tested and, and reused a number of times and i think from a but both that helps us get through a kind of a diligence quickly but also the integration planning in a, in a way that we all know and don't have to um do as, so much rework I, I guess with a a kind of a, a big you know a, a footprint across many countries and, and many often small business units operating um we're always pulling on on resource that maybe you know they've got a full-time day job and we're asking people to to do extra to to run a diligence and an integration project hmm. so giving them as many tools as we can to make it easy and and having that kind of structure to to provide it is it clearly makes the, the the whole process much easier and often because we're doing it in one country you know one one year hmm. somewhere else the next month somewhere else um we're often dealing with pe with people in the organization that haven't done um a in diligence or integration so it's it's a it's, it's very often it's a new process for people that they're going through so a set of tools is is absolutely vital to make this this kind of process repeatable in different in different geographies um so yeah absolutely i, I think the big thing is probably the cultural variation uh, in that you've got a set of tools uh, and you maybe go in and run an integration planning workshop uh, and if you do that in the US it will have one completely uh, one complete cultural flavor whereas then you run it in China through a COVID period and you're doing it uh, virtually only um, it will have a completely different set mm. of uh, cultural expectations um, but also kind of flow and feel to how an integration session will work virtually so I think it's it's a case of having those tools and but but being very adaptable to any local cultural variant variation, um, just to make sure you get a plan that everyone's bought into and can work to. Yeah, and how do you? I mean, I, one of the, the uh, part of your uh, pro, uh, profile, you, you talk about uh, cross regional transformational projects, and and this because for me when you're doing an, uh, an acquisition or you when you're doing some kind of uh transactional deal i mean i, I I'm, I'm guessing some of the, the the transactions you do are not necessarily always an acquisition it could be a joint venture it could be a a, a phased approach in terms of entering a, a new market it might be buying one or two businesses and then expanding out from there once you get a better understanding but if just the transformational part do you, do you do you do a lot of training is there do you provide training in that for for those teams because 
because realistically, if 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 they are not uh, exposed to integrations or they're not exposed to M and A or due diligence, they already have their day jobs. They already almost you know some some of them are pushed to the limit as it is in terms of the the work they have to do. Now you bring in an additional layer. You're saying you're a whole lot of tools. Let's get going. I'm sure you'll have to cascade a bit of a bit of training. You might have to. Uh, I'm not sure what what you would what term you would use, but you might have to bring in a few champions or super, you know, su super integrators or whatever you want to call them, and have some pivots within certain depart departments that you would train and set up and run. Tell us a bit about sort of that that those little nuances that that people don't get to see, you know, uh, uh, on a day to day basis. So I, I guess I have a, a kind of. I like to keep, keep think of integration as being as simple as possible, but um, it essentially needs good project management skills. Fundamentally, an integration is a project, so it needs it needs managing by that. A, a lot, lot of the nuances are uh, the difference in culture and the fact that you, you have to deliver um, projects with people that you've not not worked with before. So yeah, absolutely. It's a combination of, um, I, I think, a really good onboarding experience. So we, we treat all acquired businesses um, as though they're new employees. So we go through, we you know, we have a, a structured program to onboard them. We don't just assume that, oh, you, you work for us now, uh, you must know all our history and everything like that. We actually get put them through what was effectively a, a new new employee onboarding process to make sure they get that kind of understanding and experience of, of the organization. Clearly, the integration project itself, um, it needs a, a certain skill set. And we look to, you know, try and bring people from within our organization to run some of the, run some of those projects. I think um, that's absolutely value uh, vital because you have that kind of somebody with a um, cross functional experience that understands the uh, the wider business but can really get themselves on you know the shoes under the table at the, at the new business um and i think that that that's that's one critical thing a another thing that i would also say it sort of leads to success in in this area is separating out the day-to-day -day running of that new business with the integration of the business they're two projects that kind of not not aligned but really important to do from day one so you have the hit month one numbers, you have to hit month two numbers. So there's that immediate running of the business and making sure the heartbeat of, of how you're pushing that business keeps going. But then you've got a load of strategic projects that you want to uh, execute over maybe a three, six, 12 month period to get the business actually integrated from a kind of broader culture perspective, from achieving the longer term synergies that you can get, whether it be commercially or operationally or however, uh, and that is a build it and build it and do it well. And that's uh, making sure that the people that are focused on that are free from, okay, how what were sales yesterday? What were orders yesterday? Um, and, and trying to separate those two things out. Obviously, they have to work very closely together to, to make it a success, but actually making sure the responsibilities for those two things are, are clearly defined. Yeah, I, I, what comes to mind, I'm not I'm not sure if you've ever saw that um, that documentary on 
not sure if it was Netflix or one of those, where they had, it was called American Factory. I don't know if you ever, ever I, saw I, that. Yeah. It, it was really, it was, it was about a Chinese organization that uh, manufactured windscreens for motor cars. And they had bought an, an old American um, uh, factory and, and got it up and running again. I think it was actually dormant. And they had, they had bought this entity and they had made promises to the local American um, workforce that they would bring them back uh, and re-employ them and so on. And, and because they were apparently were supposed to have the skills and so on to, to manufacture these windscreens. And then they brought people from, from China into this American factory, managers and so on. And they tried to do this entire integration process and how different entirely different the cultures were i mean the, the 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 chinese don't do tea breaks you know they no, they, they don't have a, a tv and and a micro microwave in their in in their sort of tea room if you like um they just work 12 hours a day and then they go you know and then they and they'll work like six days a week uh and then on the American side, I mean, that's seen as as like slave labor in 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 a way. I mean, that's 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 round upon, and they wanted their tea breaks and they wanted their, you know, their their regimented ways, and and they also weren't prepared to lift certain things that were above a certain weight kind of thing. I mean, it was it's, it's an absolutely fascinating journey of integration of two polar opposite cultures, management styles. I mean, the entire um, the, the, yeah, just just bringing and even the manufacturing processes. Now, the the old machines that used to work in the old American factory um, were outdated, so they had to bring bring over and, and start upgrading and updating the existing machines. So now they had to train the the, the local American workforce to get to use those, and they were breaking these windscreens. I mean, these these windscreens were literally exploding, and it was it was it was quite. Quite it was fascinating to see how they eventually did it, and it's a, it's a successful business today. But it did take them time. It took them, I, I'm, 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 I can't remember the exact time, but it took them a few years to get that balance right with loads and loads and loads of mistakes, and I think a load of cost. So I'm just I'm just sort of putting putting that picture out there. And I'm saying okay. If you do these uh, these integrations and, and and so on with these very diverse cultures, uh, you come in and you're doing an onboarding from your larger organization potentially to a smaller organization. Um, you onboarding them. Is there no onboarding from their side as in, hey, actually, this is the way we do things around here compared to you know the way I'm just trying to understand that dynamic because it's it's actually so fascinating bringing people on board. Uh, tell us a bit, well, one or two of your experiences around there. Um, yeah, so I, I think generally speaking, um, if it's a, if the, if the organization coming on board is much, much smaller, um, the sort of the starting principle is um, certainly vision and purpose and things like that will, will be, you know, they need to be kind of integrated from, from larger to smaller. Um, but but then it depends what you're acquiring and depends what you want to get out of it uh, as to whether you you know wh what values are there some values that they bring maybe you know modern day values uh, that 
I find it harder to find in larger, older manufacturing organisations such as digitalization and sustainability, for example. Uh, you know, how can you how can you get some of those uh, good things back out into the larger organisation? Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it's always a challenge. And I think even you you talked about very two very diverse job geographies there with with clearly very different cultures. You can get that same thing within a country if the two businesses had genuinely different cultures before. Um, and I think this is one of the things that makes integration so interesting is it, it's not something that you can just predict and do. Um, whenever, if, you, if you're putting two operations together, the amount of sort of implicit knowledge or, or just retained knowledge within the workforce that isn't and almost can't be documented in a way that's useful to transfer, um, it, it, how can you it, it sort of speed up that process where everyone shares what they know um, and then you can drive value out of that? I think it's it's really difficult. And I, getting people aligned, getting people to see that each other are human, I think mm. is probably the, the one of the really interesting challenges. I, I've seen a, you know, a recent example. There's uh, some a, a great opportunity between a, a sort of Middle Eastern business and a Chinese business uh, for us to... to to grow, um, share knowledge, uh, and build build on what we're doing, um, and actually, uh, you can you can share each other's email addresses, you can share each other's job titles, and say work with these people and and you know create value, but that doesn't give people the understanding that they're both human, they've both got the same challenges, and yet yeah, one may have a microwave oven in the pantry. Uh, and the other may not, but uh, actually, yeah, a lot. If they can see each other and understand each other as humans, they they can uh, overcome those kind of cultural boundaries m much better. Yeah, and just going back to this documentary, <clears throat> I mean, they ha they had classes for the for the Chinese uh, people that they had brought across of the American way of living. You know, like what is a hamburger. Um, you know, and what is the American style of of eating and diet and all that? I mean, they had to go right down to food and 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 the you know the, the I think even things like family values and and so on. I mean, it was it was they really had to go down to the to almost like grassroots type of education for both because the Chinese people that came across, I mean, they were missing their families. I mean, they had, they yeah. had literally left their families behind for six or 12 months. You know, they, they initially anticipated this to be, you know, all we have to do is come and just show them how to use the machines and off we go. And it turned out to be exactly the, <laughs> the opposite. So, so, I mean, that, that's a, that's a fascinating dynamic. I mean, if you've got any comments on, on that. <laughs> um not 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 so many uh sort of experiences exactly like that i mean I, yeah i think um we typically haven't moved people uh significant geographies other than perhaps some of the leadership and management teams mm. um I, and but yeah absolutely in those cases we have used some kind of cultural education programs to, to help people but um yeah we, we haven't done it on mass or anything like that but um yeah, I think uh, it, as with all kind of international businesses, we, we have to do that with, in our existing business, not just with the acquisitions is, um, you know, as the world becomes more connected, mm. um, people can get value out of working with people in different locations and different cultures. 
we all need more understanding of 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 how to, how to how to work together. That that is yeah. generally one of the most fun parts of of working in an organisation with an international footprint. Yeah, and it's also then language barriers and all that type of thing. I, I you, you you mentioned management and 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 moving management um, potentially across geographies or into into new organisations. How do you get? Um, and and I imagine this is this is internal as well. But how do you get the management teams of your of your current business? To be able to still manage their own divisions and departments, etc., uh, you know, to a very high standard, and to get them into an integration space, because surely the responsibilities just go up, and and potentially their their concentration or the ability to to sort of spread themselves becomes. Uh, quite a challenge for them. I mean, the, the the concentration, the ability to to manage their teams maybe at distance because they might be now elsewhere for a few weeks, a month or two. Um, what's that process? I mean, how do you support your management teams in terms of integrations and and helping them be successful in in that in that space? Um, I think uh, well, it's it's a couple of things. Firstly, it's in the planning um, and making sure that your um, your business model is not too thin on the ground for an additional resource that you may need to backfill or make sure in the business model um, there's resource built in into the existing business where you know that you're 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 going to take business out um, and don't just pretend that that business can carry on running as it was. Um, the other thing is constantly having um, acquisitions. Um, to integrate is actually a fantastic career development challenge for people. Uh, lots of people get, you know, quite excited about an acquisition. They they they're excited about the confidential nature of it ahead of the the kind of go live, and then there's the attention and spotlight on it after the acquisition. So it is a great place if you want to kind of develop your career to to to, to undertake a new role. Uh, so as people are developing through the organisation, you know. Um, you try and use the, the, the people that are in the, the top right of the, the talent box if you can get your hands on them, because these are our opportunities to stretch people. You can leave them with responsibility, give them additional responsibility, take them out of their role, backfill them, put them into a bigger role, give them a, give them a cross-functional challenge, something like that. So uh, it, I think it's, it's generally quite exciting for, for and a good way to be able to keep challenging people and build their careers. Yeah, and and I've also noticed that on on uh, resumes and and CVs or or you know which whatever however profile you put forward, I think these days more and more you see executives put forward M and A, post merger integration, uh, the ability to do those type of things in in uh, in addition to what would be expected normal for an executive normal, I don't know if you can actually say normal, but standard for an executive to be able to do within a particular role. That's a that's a that's an interesting phenomenon, especially the last sort of five plus years. More and more so I'm seeing uh, the, the the those CVs, those resumes coming through with additional PMI as in, yeah, I was part of that project, I was part of that project, even though they might not be practitioners. They might have been on the receiving end and saying, look, I've been part of that 
uh, of a takeover. I was a target. I was part of a target entity, and we went through this process. I think that does expand people's minds as well. It's a bit like traveling to a certain extent, <laughs> but it does open up, broaden uh, your your mind. I want to go and just talk a little bit about that cross-functional um, space around uh, your your PMI, because you're a guy that's that's got massive experience. I mean, in terms of your career at that uh, at that entity, you'll have so much knowledge of all the different component parts that make up a, a successful division or a successful targets and so on. That cross-functional um, knowledge, you know, how deep does it need to be? I mean, if, if someone says, hey, I want to be like Richard, I want to be, that's, that's my career, you know, they're in the early 20s, whatever it is, and they say, you know what? I want to follow Richard's footsteps. I mean, what what would you would you say in terms of how would they develop that? Um, skill set? I mean, that's just well. Um, I think having a an interest in all parts of the business is key, and not pigeonholing yourself into thinking that you know I'm in the commercial section or I'm in the operations section. I'm in HR. I think um, being interested while doing a day job in all the other um, parts of the business, I think is is very important. It's also very interesting. Um, and then looking for roles that are, that keep changing and challenging yourself. Um, I think in some ways I, I was lucky to do a lot of product work in, in my early career, which um, just involved a, a big part of the end-to-end -end business because, uh, you know, fundamentally you were responsible for for making sure sales of products grew and new products came on board and, and were introduced and, and, and were selling and accelerating. But you had to make sure you'd selected the right supplier, that the warehouse were happy with the packaging, that the, the systems and IT were all set up, the training was done uh, and the pricing was set. So it was, it was kind of quite cross-functional anyway in terms of it, its thinking and its project delivery. So it was probably quite a good area to to understand the end-to-end -end part of the business um and then um I, I guess i probably got a lot of experience through the effectively the general general management experience uh, of integrating the business out in, in malaysia um where i uh from from day one of the acquisition i had um all the HR reporting in, finance reporting in, IT project responsible, the full breadth of functions. And actually, when you've just travelled from the UK, you've just met 500 new employees, and you've got all of this uh, a full kind of function, functional project to integrate. You learn, learn, you learn very, very quickly uh, about all of them and what's important. So I think. Partly it's, it's making sure you're there and willing to take an opportunity when it presents itself, um, but but being interested in the, in the full spectrum of business. Yeah, and and out of a lot of the people that that, that I've interviewed in, in on the various podcast episodes, some of the key attributes have been have been that that you've just mentioned. Now, you know that willingness to roll up your sleeves, the willingness to get in. And just get to know the various parts, um, because you can't you can't diminish the value of any of the working elements, because they all work together. If you get one part slightly better than another part, and the other part sort of lagging, you know you're still trying to uh, create the value 
you're trying to uh, build those synergies just in the integration process but you can't neglect any part of of the <laughs> of the entity that you're taking on and even the the existing part of your entity you've got to still keep an eye that that you're not pulling down the acquired entity i mean you're not making them worse off through the integration you got to you got to be able to add value to that process and let the in integrating company uh, have a reverse increase or improvement on on, on mm -hmm. your, your entity you have to get your hands dirty yeah that's that's a key attribute in in my mind yeah yeah i, I fully agree and that that sort of early integration phase of the first uh probably one to two months is where you're everybody needs that's part of the integration team needs to get their hands dirty and really understand the new business being you know accepting of not not everything from the acquiring business is perfect or or, or best mm. very often it's not best and you you've got to be looking for things that are, are already better and making sure you don't don't damage them and, and pay, look, look for value there um but as you get your hands dirty uh it's it's so important to be hands-on because after that four to eight week period that whole integration plan that you'd written before you really knew this business has changed in complete in people's minds as to how they're going to do it what the, what the milestones need to be um and and sometimes what the budget needs to be to actually achieve them and so sort of being adaptable by understanding that detail quickly from a kind of really we've got hands on the business i think that that that's also really really important I think it's also useful that um, because you're a corporate acquirer, you're not driven by mass uh, by a huge. Although time is important, speed and time, um, it's more around the strategic. Are you reaching the strategic objective of this acquisition? Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to reach the strategic objective with massive time constraints. You can do things a little. I'm guessing a little bit more deliberately, a little bit more thought through. And if things are not quite working, you do have the ability to to adjust. Although I'm sure you're still under time pressure, but in it's as compared to let's say a private equity environment, you know, you're not you you're not entirely under the under the whip. You 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 still have the ability now to extract the maximum value. I'm guessing. I'm just throwing it out there as a corporate acquirer. I'm just just yeah. I probably I like to think that both both types are are, are working in generally for the long term interest of of the business as well. Uh, you know, as a corporate acquirer, we have we have ambitious targets as well, and they're not all five years out. They're a lot. You know, we, we we're reporting on a six monthly basis publicly, so it, it's right. very important that we do add value and we add value quickly. So I I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's. It's hugely different. I think perhaps the way we we can go about building that with a sort of a overall integration structure and how this is going to look in five years' time and it aligning to kind of a vision, I think mm. may you know that 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 might be slightly differently um, looked at uh, possibly. Um, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm both 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 sets of uh, types of acquirers are looking to, to create value. It's uh, it depends on, you know, there are different opinions on, on what, what might be the better way for the actual 
company being acquired but um mm -hmm. yeah I, th I think we're looking to to drive value quickly as well you know so it, it's important that we see synergy delivery early yeah and and there are multiple schools of thought on how you would do that and so on as it becomes such a fascinating uh subject because there's different methodologies and so on that that different pe people apply and, and again it, it doesn't necessarily mean corporate acquirers are different to private equity everyone's under but you might have a slightly different uh intent uh you know in terms of the the organization i just want to just want to shift a little bit uh maybe a bit more personal uh, richard if you don't mind just tell us, you know, from from your point of view, you've you've had a you've you've had a successful career so far. I'm sure you you you'll continue having a successful career, and you'll keep on growing and developing and in your role and so on. I just I just want to ask, um, you know, do you have a few sort of wise words, if you like, or a few golden nuggets to share with the audience? So, so what what key things have you sort of learned over over your career that you might want to share? Um. I think it's very important to have a growth mindset. And if you don't know what a growth mindset is, look it up and um, make sure you're working to have a growth mindset. Um, I, I think it's hugely important to believe that things can be done differently or things can improve and, you know, it, it will be okay. Um, we just, you know, we need to think of a different way of doing something and, and we can achieve it. I think that that's hugely important. Um, and then I think the other thing that I, I probably would say is, is, is important is look for opportunities uh, and take them when they present themselves. It's very, uh, very difficult to say, I want an opportunity and I want it now and I want it to be this. But actually, if you kind of look for where the opportunities are and go, well, I'm quite interested in everything, which, which opportunities, you know, I could take a different route here, take, mm. take different opportunities. Obviously, I've stayed at the same company and I've been lucky that lots of different opportunities have presented themselves within the company. Mm. Um, if they stop presenting themselves, then, you know, I'll, I'll be looking around for other opportunities. So it's kind of, I think, look for opportunities and, and take them when they present themselves. Um, uh, and that's that they, that develops you and stretches you and um, makes life interesting. Yeah. I love that because that's also, again, one of the key attributes is that growth, the, 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 that, hunger i think for continuous improvement the hunger the purpose driven sort of mentality of i want i want to be challenged i want to keep being challenged and i want to keep learning and, and growing as an as, as an individual there's no there's no sort of paradise there's no nirvana if you like you know where you know, I've, I've reached the pinnacle i really can't learn much more you know, that doesn't, that doesn't happen. I've, I've not, I've not seen, there's always one more thing to know and one more thing to do. And I love your, your concept of growth mindset. And I think that's absolutely spot on. And, and thank you for that. Just if we go then a little bit more personal. So how, how do you keep yourself sort of sane in, in a, in a busy, in a busy world? I mean, M&A, uh, PMI work, post-merger integration work, this, um, you know, cross geographies, it, it, I'm sure there's a lot of travel or I don't know so much, maybe not so much anymore, but you're dealing constantly with, with, uh, I would say juggling many, many um, things all the time. So, so that's, how do you, how do you deal with it from a personal point of view? How do you keep yourself on track, sane and, and, and happy and healthy in terms of balance? <laughs> if uh, there is such a thing. 
Amazingly, you bring the word up juggling. I actually uh, enjoy juggling as a pastime um, and was just juggling with some old university friends at the weekend. Um, uh, but yeah, lots, lots of sport. I love my sport. Um, I have wife and, and kids uh, and they keep, keep me uh, pretty busy. I'm not sure whether that drives me more insane and therefore I need more sport and, and juggling to, uh, to to keep me sane. Um, but yeah, I, I, going back to growth mindset, juggling, and I also play quite a lot of music. I, um, I, I think those, those sorts of things actually, whether whatever kind of a hobby you choose, there are other things that you know you can keep developing and, and challenging yourself outside of work. And if you're challenging yourself, it's a great way to switch off from work as well. Mm. So I think doing those sorts of things is just really important to, to stay sane. I love that. So it's a right brain, left brain, kind of, you know, the creativity plus the, I mean, music is, is and, and so on, and even juggling. I mean, that must be, that must take a huge amount of concentration. You cannot be thinking about anything else. You've got to be focused. Yeah. Fo yeah. I need yeah. focus. <laughs> yeah, lovely. Thank you very much, Richard. I, um, I do appreciate your, your coming on onto uh, the show today. Uh, it's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much. Is there is there any anything you'd like to share um, right at the end? Uh, and maybe just if you'd like, uh, if if somebody would like to get in touch with you and they and they, and they want to, you know, have a have a conversation with you. I mean, how would they do that? But if there's any sort of final thoughts and and uh, and, and then also just share how how people can get hold of you. Um. Oh, no, thanks. Thanks for uh, inviting me on, Dudley. It's always uh, a pleasure to chat to you. Um, and, you know, I think uh, uh, anyone who's considering this as an area, it's, it's hugely interesting uh, and um, gives a very diverse um, look into all forms of business, all parts of the business. So if you're, if you're interested in the full breadth of business, M&A um, is an excellent area. Uh, and if anyone does want to get in touch, please search me up on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is reasonably unique, so you'll find me quite easily. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, Richard, please stay on the line. I'm just going to say goodbye to the audience, and, uh, and we'll have a chat now. Just, just let me say goodbye. Thanks, everyone, for joining us uh, today on our, on our latest uh, episode of 100 Days and Beyond, the podcast that focuses on, on that, that rare, that special community of individuals that deal not just with the mergers and acquisitions portion of, of, of business, if you like, but, but that, that space called post-merger integration or post-acquisition integration, those people that, that I think make business work in terms of the growth, development, and even in terms of bringing together uh, great businesses or, or partially uh, or portions of, of businesses, bring them together to make them even better to make uh, a business more global. If, if that's your philosophy, that's great. Sometimes it's more regional because we want to boost the, 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 the regional environment or the regional manufacturing in, in this is in, in Richard's case. But I think, I think if, we, if we look across the board, M&A professionals, especially the post-merger integration guys, have this special, unique ability to, to tackle cross-function, cross uh geography cross culture and the, the the willingness to want to continue being challenged and I, and I love those attributes and and Richard brought a really good point which was having that growth mindset 
growth mindset for me is, is is critical if you do want to just enjoy it and really enjoy enjoy your your challenges and, and so on in life. So thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Hundred days and beyond. Uh, you're welcome to 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 subscribe, to follow us, to keep um, keep joining us on on all our uh, episodes. We do at least three or four episodes a week, and we publish them on audio and on video live stream. And uh, you can also find us on our YouTube channel. All the best. Thank you so much. And please join us on the next um, the next episode. All the best. Bye-bye. Hi, everybody. This is Dudley again. And if you need help with a future or existing post-merge integration, I want to invite you to arrange a free, no-obligation meeting with us. During the meeting, we'll find out exactly what you need what your challenges are, and we'll explain how our unique PMI slipstream method can help you. Simply call us or visit mergerintegration.co.uk. That's mergerintegration.co.uk or come to our website, skillfulpursuit.com.